by that service. If you have your Bible and want to read with us tonight, we're going to read from Romans chapter number 12. Just going to read one verse tonight, or I'll, I'll read the first two verses. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. I want to preach on just title our message, one word, changed. Changed. Father, thank you for the word tonight. Thank you for allowing us to be in the house of God with those of like precious faith. With the words of my mouth. And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. Speak to us tonight by your Spirit. Let the quickening power of the Holy Ghost not only anoint the preaching of the Word, but the hearing as well. The receiving of it, O God, let it fall on the good ground of our heart. Let our lives yield the peaceable fruits of holiness and righteousness, O God. May this world see Jesus in us like never before. Lord, you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or even think. According to the power that works in us, work in us tonight. Lord, save the lost, heal the sick, feel the believer. Oh God, loose them that are bound or oppressed. Make a way tonight for those that need you to make a way. And we'll praise you for it all. We ask it again in Jesus' name. You love the Lord, would you say amen? Changed. We see in verse 1 of our text tonight the obligation of personal dedication. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So in that first verse is the obligation of personal dedication. God wants you to personally Dedicate and consecrate your life unto Him. Isn't that right? Verse number two. Before we get into it, you may ask the question after hearing of a obligation of personal dedication, why should I be sold out to God? Why should I present my life as a living sacrifice to God on the altar? What's in it? What's the purpose? What's the reason? So that God may transform your life. So that God can change your life. If you will wholly dedicate and consecrate your life unto God, he will completely and utterly transform your life. If you don't like where you are in God, then just put yourself as clay in the potter's hands and just stay there. Stay and stay still and meditate and worship and love and obey this God of heaven. And I'm telling you, he'll draw you closer to him than you've ever been before. And he will, while you're in his hand, begin to conform you to Christ, his son. And you will be more like Jesus than you've ever been before. That's all it takes. He's the potter. I'm the clay. He said, abide in me, let my word abide in you. I'll do the rest. Amen. So that God may transform your life. He does that in two aspects. Number one, he transforms your character. Number two, he will transform your conduct. Amen. He'll transform your character. Number two, he'll transform your conduct. Character is what you are. Conduct is what you do. And if you will let God change what you are, consequentially, he will then change what you do. Amen. If God cannot change who you are, neither can he change what you do. A lot of people say, I wish God would take this away from me. I wish God would do, would do this work in my life. Then let God change your heart. Let God transform your mind. Let him transform your character, and then he will transform your conduct. In verses 1 and 2, we see that the apostle makes it clear that as we maintain an attitude of daily surrender and daily submission to God, we are being changed 
by him. This transformation of our character first involves, we'll look at a negative aspect and a positive aspect, not negative in that it's a bad transformation or a bad change, but negative in being both sides of the coin. One of them has to deal with something that you've got to do in order for God to do what he needs to do. So in that light, I would call it the negative side first is this transformation of character first involves nonconformity to the world. Nonconformity to the world. If we're going to be transformed, in verse 2 he said, be not conformed to this world. That's something I have to do. And it's a not. Like a thou shalt not, he is saying, be not conformed to this world. So it's nonconformity to the world is the first aspect of the transformation of my character. He said, be not conformed to this world, the world meaning this age. This age in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, who gave himself, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. He's not talking, when you say the world, he's not talking about a world full of people that are lost in their sin. God loves people. But he hates this world system. Amen. So when he says, he's talking about the world, he said this present evil world, talking about this age or this system of Antichrist. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, It is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. The Bible said if men be lost, if this gospel is hid from men's eyes it's because the God of this world hath blinded their minds. Blinded their minds. Now we're preaching about having our minds being renewed, being changed. Their mind has been blinded. People just can't see it like you see it. Why? Satan has blinded their mind to the truth. Amen. Their only hope is to be born again. Their only hope is to get sick and tired of being sick and tired and to be to get sin weary, sin sick, and cry out unto the Lord, and he will hear them. He will mercifully and graciously pardon them. He will remove the veil from their mind, and they will see the wonder and the splendor and the glory of Christ. James chapter 4 and verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world, this present age, is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. This world (coughs) is not our home. We're only here temporarily. We're pilgrims and strangers here. He said, be not conformed to this world. The word conform means to take the shape of or to be like. Don't let this world mold you. Don't let this world shape you. Don't be conformed to this world. Who are we to be conformed to? The image of Christ. I would think it's Satan's chief goal to conform every one of us to the world because the will of God is to conform me to Christ. And if I'm not being conformed to Christ, I'm being conformed to the world. And the devil's laughing all the way. Amen. Listen means to, to take the shape of, to be like. We're not to be conformed to this world. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. The task of the church is not to capture the spirit of this world, but rather to correct this world. The task, the duty of the church is not to capture the spirit of this world, but rather to correct this world. 
In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we're going to stay here for a little while. He said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. When the Apostle Paul is instructing us in Romans chapter 12 in our text tonight to be not conformed to this world, he is in essence agreeing with John. Stating the same fact as John, love not the world. When he says, be not conformed to the world, don't be shaped, patterned, or like the world, he is saying, don't fall in love with this world. Fall in love with Jesus. Listen, John's writing shows or teaches us what is in the world. And therefore, it helps us if we know what is in the world and what the world is trying to make us like are trying to shape us in the image of or conform us to, if we know what the world's trying to conform us to by knowing what is in the world, it will help us not to be conformed unto these things. What are the things that John said was in the world? Number one, the lust of the flesh. The word lust is taken from a word that we would call sensuous. It relates to our senses, our flesh, our feelings, our desires, sensuousness, the sensuousness of the world. Sensuousness is our God-given senses out of order, gone haywire. (coughs) God created us. And when God created man, he said that it was good. God made man with all of his senses. There's nothing wrong with having senses. But when those senses are out of order, then they become sinful. Listen, out of order or twisted or demented or reshaped by the world. For an example, the desire for food. I'll preach to myself for a little while. The desire for food. The desire for food is healthy and it's natural. Do you know if you didn't have any desire to eat, after a while you'd die. God gave a man desire for food. He gave food taste. He gave your tongue taste buds. And he let you know that food tastes good. It's pleasurable to eat food. It's necessary. It's required for your body to take in certain nutrients in order to replenish itself. So the desire for food is therefore healthy and necessary. But listen, this world would reshape your appetite. A desire to overeat, eat all the time, eat to the detriment of our own health. That desire did not come from God. It comes from the lust of the flesh. The desire for sexual activity was God given. It was not intended to be a sinful thing, but rather a healthy desire so that man would procreate. He would reproduce and replenish the earth. It was not supposed to be a sinful act, neither a carnal act, but a God-ordained activity to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. But this desire out of order or out of control leads to the sin of fornication or adultery. Nearly every advertisement in our country appeals to one of these two senses working out of control in people's body. Eating or some kind of sexual appeal or sexual activity. The devil would love to shape your life and to mold your life to be given to these desires all the time. 
Amen. He would love to twist your senses and have them out of God's divine order and align them with the world. Listen, if our senses are aligned with the world's appetite, then we're out of order. We're out of order. That is the lust of the flesh. Even, I just threw this in for free. It's not going to cost you anything. The desire for fun is normal. I like to have fun. You like to have fun. Young people like to have fun. Children like to have fun. That desire was given to us by God. Probably just through a breaker. Desire was given to us by God. But this desire out of order can lead to folly, foolishness that will make fun become sin. Listen, I don't see where there's nothing wrong with, you know, hitting a ball or bouncing a ball or throwing a ball or catching a ball or any of that kind of stuff. But if that's all you want to do in life is hit a ball and catch a ball and bounce a ball and throw a ball. And if, if, if that's all you want to do in life is have fun, then your fun's out of order. It's out of control. And I know people that that is their God. Baseball, football, basketball, soccer. What else? Tennis, something. I mean, golf, something that involves a ball. And then if it don't involve a ball, there are other things that are fun. Hunting, fishing, you know, whatever. I know people that as soon as ball season's out, hunting season's in. And as soon as hunting season ends, something else, you know, picks up. Summer gets here and we got to go on vacation. Summer's ended and this kicks in. I got to do this. I, and it's all wrapped around their desire. Their desire for entertainment, their desire for pleasure, their desire to have fun. It's out of control. It's out of order. It all falls under the heading of the lust of the flesh. Number two, what is in the world? The lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes involves covetousness of the world. Covetousness. If the lust of the flesh is the sensuousness of the world, then the lust of the eyes is the covetousness of the world. What do we covet? What our eyes see. Now, covetous is not the lust of the flesh. Jesus said, if a man look on a woman to lust after her in his heart, he has committed adultery with her already in his heart. That is not the lust of the eyes as much as it is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes has to do with covetousness. We see our neighbor's wealth is more than ours, and we want it. We want to be wealthier than them. We've got to outdo the Joneses or outdo the Smiths. That's covetousness. When we are relieved to see someone worse off than we are or in a lesser position than we have, that is covetousness. When we see a world in dire need, such as missions, and do nothing about it while we continue to store up for ourselves, that is covetousness, the lust of the eyes. And then number three, he said the pride of life. Pride of life. The word pride literally means glamour. It is the glamour or the glamorousness of the world. It means literally glamour. And the word glamour means to cast an enchantment. To cast an enchantment. The word enchantment means an irresistible influence. To cast a spell. With the lure of looks, intellect, talent, clothes, education, popularity, you name it. The world tries to cast an enchantment upon people with the glamour, the glamorous lifestyle that this world portrays. It makes doing drugs look glamorous. All the stars 
are on, they're experimenting with this drug. This drug is the latest rave among young. It makes that lifestyle look glamorous when indeed that lifestyle is bondage. That lifestyle is equated with death, spiritual death, physical death. You know, every commercial, whether it be a Budweiser or whatever, they make that to look glamorous. When, I, when I've had an uncle this week lying in a hospital bed, staring at the wall, when the doctor come in and told him there's nothing else we can do for you, you have cirrhosis of the liver. And if you drink any more, you know, you've got some hope if you stop drinking and the liver could regenerate itself, heal itself, or, or they even told him God can heal you. But if you continue to drink, you are going to die. Why don't somebody make a commercial about that? Wouldn't be so glamorous, would it? It's not glamorous at all. Sinful. I, I look at these shows that are so overwhelmingly popular. I'm going to make somebody just mad just sure as I say it. The, the intent is not to make you mad. I'm, the intent is just to prove a point, what I'm talking. What are the hottest and the most popular shows well, I really don't know, but the ones that I hear talk, people talking about all the time that I utterly detest. I mean, I really do detest. I'm glad the first one went off the air. It was American Idol. Oh, I couldn't stand it. I was amazed at how many church people, Christians that would sing on the platform under the anointing and people would be blessed. They'd mistake the anointing for talent. And they would go sing in front of this little panel of judges. I said, I don't need a panel of judges to tell me if I can sing or not. If they hear me sing without music and without people backing me up and covering me up, they'd say, my God, that sounds sick. And I would say, I know. But when you get a person, an individual, a man or a woman, God touches their life. They're being anointed by the Holy Ghost. I'll take that any day of the week. Amen. You know, the world says that, you know, all those country singers, all those rock and roll singers, they've got talent enough to make it. I'd rather have the anointing any day of the week. I'd rather have the touch of God upon my life any day of the week. So I, I just, I was always dumbfounded by that. I, I just hated that show. Now they had one to take its place, The Voice. Y'all laughing at you. The voice. It appeals. It, it'll make, it makes that look glamorous. Oh, man, if I could make it on the stage, the glamour. Who cares? What if they make a singing star out of you? I can tell you the world don't, ain't applauding the gospel music. They want to make you a rock and roll singer, a rhythm and blues singer, a country singer. That's glamorous. The world will applaud you. You can make it in the world. You can be rich. I'm not trying to make it in the world. I'm trying to make it out of this world. I'm already rich. I'm just trying to get out of here with the riches of Christ. I won't stay there anymore. <laughs> We're not to be, you know, that glamour is vainglory. It's the very antithesis of Christ who said, I am meek and lowly of heart. We're not to be sensuous, covetous, or glamorous. We are to be conformed to Christ, not to those things. John said, if a man is loving and seeking after these things, sensuous, covetous, glamorous things. If a man is loving and seeking after these things, then he cannot be loving and seeking after God. He said, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Woo. We may please the world when we conform to its ways, to its philosophies, but the same proportion in which we please the world is the proportion in that we displease God. 
the, the, the proportion that you please the world in, that's the same proportion that you displease God in. That's what John said. Worldliness is not a list of what we wear. It's neither is it a list of what we do or don't do. Neither is it a list of where we go. But godliness is rather what we love. And so is worldliness. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. But if a man loves God, then he don't care nothing about the world. Hallelujah. To substitute the spirit of this age for the spirit of God is to be conformed to the world. The transformation of our character first should include non-conformity to this world. Secondly, it includes true conformity to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Non-conformity to the world. The opposite of that is conformity to Christ. God's purpose in each one of us tonight is to conform us to Christ. Why did God save you? To make you like Jesus. Why didn't God just save me and kill me? If God's purpose for your life is to get you to heaven, then let him kill you. You'll get there. He can get you there tonight. He can get you there right now. If God's purpose is greater than just to get you to heaven, it is greater. It's to make you like Jesus. And then therefore he has sent the Holy Ghost. He said when he's come, he will testify of me. He'll take what's mine and show it unto you. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. His purpose, God in us, is to make us like Jesus. Jesus is God's perfect man. He said the firstborn of a new race. Not the fallen race of Adam, but the new race of born again, redeemed, spirit-filled men and women. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him or follow him or be like him. Amen. So God's purpose in all of us to conform us to Christ. He's predestined us, the Bible said, to be conformed to the image of his son. Word transformed is the Greek word metamorphos. It means to change, to transfigure. Probably the greatest two examples of metamorphosis I can describe in nature is that caterpillar. Builds himself, wraps himself up in a cocoon, and after so many days, weeks, or months, breaks out of that cocoon as a beautiful butterfly. He is not even the same creature he used to be. There has been a change, a transfiguration. He is altogether different. He is no longer a caterpillar. He is now a butterfly. The other is a tadpole. Tadpole has legs and tail. It has gills. It actually breathes underwater. It draws oxygen out of the water just like a fish. But when a transformation, a metamorphosis period takes place in that tadpole, those legs develop, that tail falls off. He develops lungs that take oxygen out of the air and not out of the water. Those gills close up. He is not a tadpole anymore. He is now a frog, an altogether different creature. Greatly notes a willingness be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed denotes a willingness to change. Appliability on our part literally is clay, is soft Pliable, workable, moldable, bendable in the hand of a potter. A pliability on our part to be molded into something new. You got to let God change your life. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, but we all with 
open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. There's that word changed. Are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let me read it again in layman's terms. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. You changed into what you're beholding in that mirror. From glory or from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. From the glory of corruptible man unto the glory of the incorruptible God. Do you know that is the ultimate change in finality that's going to take place? I'm being changed from one degree to another degree to another degree. And when my change finally comes in finality and in completion, I will be made like him. All along this way, God is changing me. The word changed is the same word in the Greek as transformed, metamorphosis. With open face beholding as in a glass, a mirror of the glory of the Lord are changed, transformed, transfigured into the same image from one degree of glory to another, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Lord is the one doing the changing. We're not turning over a new leaf here. Amen. God is doing the changing. Our nature is changed. Our heart is changed. Our mind is changed. Our character is changed. There's first of all, when we speak of change, has to be a method. There's a method of this transformation and then a measure of this transformation. First of all, the method, a contemplation of the Savior. Again, in the second Corinthians chapter three and verse 18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass, a mirror, of the glory of the Lord, the word beholding there means gazing to stare with intent, just to stare at something, looking it over and make you nervous. Somebody was staring at you, looking you over They don't make God nervous. Because he knows there's not one flaw in him. He put Jesus before us. Now we're using the term mirror because that's what John used. Or that's what the Apostle Paul rather used in 2 Corinthians. Beholding as in a glass, a mirror. We, We think of a piece of glass, a mirror where we look at ourselves. John's talking about the mirror of the word. And the object in the mirror is Christ. And you're looking at the mirror. If there's any changes that need to be made, you're making them to yourself. Because you're looking at Christ. And God's not worried about you staring at him. Intently gazing and beholding him because he's perfect. This is my beloved son, the lamb of God, spotless, holy, perfect, the anointed one, his Christ. Whom I'm well pleased. Be like him. Follow him. Amen. Walk with him. That's what he's saying. And as you behold him. In that mirror. In that glass of God's word. God's word makes you like him. Amen. So let's first deal with the method. A contemplation of the Savior. A beholding, a thinking, a staring, a gazing. If we're truly yielded to Christ, he becomes the object, the fixation of our gaze, of our stare, of our interest. If you're yielded to Christ, you are a Jesus man. You are a Jesus woman. Oh, you're just a holy roller. You're just a Bible thumper. You're just one of those old fundamental fanatical Christians are Jesus freak guilty as charged. I have fixed my eyes, my stare, my gaze upon the Lord. I want to be like him. 
Colossians 3 and 1, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Seek in that verse. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right. Seek here is mind or be mindful of those things which are above. Think on these things. Think on Christ. Let your heart, let your affections be on Christ. Proverbs 23 and 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you're constantly thinking on Christ, on his riches, on his goodness, on his glory, on his coming, on his holiness, guess what? You're going to be made like him. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Think on him. Stare at him. Gaze upon him. Behold him. God's method is changed by beholding. Changed by beholding. The focus of the glass or the mirror in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 is to behold the object in the mirror that changes might be made. You wake up in the morning, you got one reason to look in the mirror. To see yourself. You are the object in the mirror. And the reason you want to see yourself is to see how bad you look and to see if you can do anything about it. Is there anything I can do to make this look any better? Comb the hair. You know, wipe the face. Brush the teeth. Put the knot in the tie. Put the, you ladies, put the ribbon in or the bow in, whatever it is you want to put in. We look in that mirror so we can make changes to what we behold in that. We will become what we constantly behold. I see sometimes young people dress a certain way, whether it be male or female. And I want to ask him, Brother Danny, where'd you see that at? Because I know you couldn't have come up with something that ugly by yourself. Why would you want out a boy on our baseball team? Right here in the front. He's a nerdy boy anyway. I mean, I don't get it. Big old patch of green hair in the front. I'm like, why? Who did you see with green bangs that you thought that was cool? Wasn't Christ. Hello? I said it wasn't Christ. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind. When you behold Christ, those are not the changes that he's going to make in your life. It's just not. The mirror of the world. You, you, will, you will become what you constantly behold. You, walk, you look at a boy that watches sports all the time. He is going to become an athlete, or at least he's going to give it a good shot. That's what he's going to aspire to be, is what he's always watching. You let them sit in front of the outdoor channel. They are going to be a hunter or a fisherman. All of their thinking, all of their spending of their money, all of their time in the outdoors, that is what they are going to aspire to be. You let them read the gospel. You let them read the book of Acts. They are going to aspire to be a holy man of God. They are going to aspire to do exploits for God. They will want the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. If somebody gets sick, they'll aspire to lay hands on them and see them get well. They'll aspire to see blind men see, deaf men hear, dumb men talk, lame men walk, and the dead raised to life again. You will become what you always are beholding, staring at, gazing at. What do you want to be tonight? What is your goal? What is your desire? Where have you set the bar? God wants you to be more than a doctor, more than a lawyer, more than 
this or that. He wants you to be like Jesus. Could be no greater goal in life for your child to behold Christ in the Word, in the church, and in you and desire to be like Him. The mirror of the Word. It's in the Holy Scripture that we hear, see, and feel our Lord by faith. Our devotional life is then paramount in our ability to change from one degree of glory unto another. David said, while I was musing, meditating, thinking on God, while I was musing, the fire burned. Woo, hallelujah. How to make a man of God want to shout. While I was musing, the fire burned. How many times have I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and I just shut up and I'm being quiet and I'm listening. I'm just meditating on God. I'm thinking about what the word God will speak a scripture to my heart and I'm thinking on that scripture. God will speak a thought to my heart. That's where 99.9% of my messages uh, are born is with one simple word, just a thought that God lets enter into my mind and a thought becomes a, a message when I when I open up the Bible and see what God has to say pertaining to that thought, uh, scriptures come alive and references start tying in, you know, and connecting this and that and the other and points and a, a summary and a theme will develop. That's just how they're born from me. I don't know how they come for anybody else. But while I was musing, the fire burned. I was thinking on God, meditating on his word, and the Holy Ghost blew on the ember. Jeremiah said, thy word was like a fire shut up in my bones. While I was musing, the fire burned. Contemplation of the Savior, constant thinking on him, meditating on him, staring, gazing, beholding him is on our part. Then there's the operation of the Spirit on God's part. He said again in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, we're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's the Lord that's doing the change. If we will do our part, which is to gaze, behold, think, meditate, contemplate on the Savior, then the Spirit will do His part, change you from glory to glory. While we contemplate, the Spirit operates. While I mused, the fire burned. Musing was my part, the burning was his part. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. As we gaze into God's word, the Holy Spirit not only reveals the likeness of Christ to us, but reproduces the life of Christ in us. Man, only got two left. Hold on. In the progression of this transformation, come help me, Kirsten, because I'm going to hurry through this. In this progression of this transformation, we go from the method of transformation to the measure of transformation. We're transformed from one degree of glory unto another. Transformed appears four specific times in the New Testament. Four times. Word transformed. One place it's interpreted change, but it's the same word in the Greek. It appears four times. An examination of these four times will help us not only to understand the measure of change that takes place in the life of a believer as we remain yielded and still in the potter's hand, I believe it'll help us to see and examine this change what God desires to do. First time, or first point I want to bring out where it's found, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, changed from one glory unto another. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The word liberty means a release of the Spirit. This changed. We'll talk to you a moment about the glory of this released life. When the change comes, when the spirit begins to operate, he releases his life into yours. And as he does, you are changed. 
He releases his life into yours. And a change takes place. Change from glory to glory. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is release. There is liberty. In the immediate context of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's referring to the release and liberty from the bondage of the law. But on a closer examination, a greater scale, you'll find out he's speaking about a greater liberty, a total liberty. Not only a release from all bondage, which includes the law and ultimately sin, a release from all bondage, but also a release unto all blessing. How shall he not with him freely, there's that word liberty, freely give you all things, grace, mercy, power, glory. It's all in Christ. Healing. A man who is free from fear, guilt, shame, condemnation, envy, strife, malice, the defeats of his past. He's free from sensuousness, covetousness, glamour, all of those things. That is a man that is experiencing a change, the glory of this released life. Then there's the glory of the renewed life, Romans 12 and 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word renewing in the Greek means renovation, complete change for the better. It's used like this again, though the outward man perishes, yet is the inward man renewed, changed day by day. This change, the glory of a renewed life is current, is up to date, is a fresh experience, a fresh word from heaven. I know what God said. Some people, they testify. It's always what God said to them 25, 30, 40 years ago. Thank God for it. Glad it touched you. Glad it defines your life. But what's he saying today? What's he saying to your children? What's he saying for your grandchildren? God's not a 40-year-old stale loaf of bread. He's fresh bread. Hallelujah to God. He spoke to me today. a current, fresh, up-to-date, moment-by-moment, renewing me, changing me, making me like Jesus, the glory of this renewed life. Then last, the glory of this redeemed life. When I say redeemed, I'm not only talking about saved, I'm talking about the glory of this changed life. You're redeemed. You're born again. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have been changed. And the next two references to it, we've talked about 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, Romans 12 and 2. The next two references are found in Matthew and Mark in the story of the transfiguration of Christ. He was lifted up and his countenance changed. His skin shone like John said in Revelation, like fine brass polished in a fire. His garments were white like light. He was seen talking with Moses and Elijah concerning that of how he would die, Calvary. The transfiguration of Christ is a glimpse of our change that awaits us. We are redeemed. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Thank God for it. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Glory to God. Beloved, now we the sons of God. I am redeemed. I have been redeemed. You know that I am currently being redeemed. 
Listen, the Bible said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God wherewith you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Do you know you've been redeemed at Calvary and until Jesus comes back, the Holy Ghost is leading you and guiding you and teaching you and currently, up to date, right now, actively redeeming you. You have been saved and you're being saved. Hallelujah. I said you're being saved. But the day's going to come that I'm going to forevermore be saved. Oh, this flesh is going to drop off of me. Glory to God. Carnality is going to leave me. Oh, I'm going to be like him. God cannot be tempted with sin. God is a spirit, have not flesh and bones. Oh, no, Jesus said, like you see me, but he's been changed. He's been changed. It's more than a spiritual transformation. His body's been changed, Brother Daniel, into that of incorruptible. He just walked through the wall. He didn't need, even need a door. They were gathered there waiting for something to happen. He just walks in. There he is. They thought he's a ghost. He said, no, I'm not a spirit. I'm not a figment of your imagination. Touch me. Touch my hands. Feel the print where they drove the nail. See my side where they drove the spear. Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of fish and a honeycomb and he did eat and drink with them. And he said, I am not a spirit for a spirit have not flesh and bone like you see me have. I've been changed. I'm risen from the dead. This is a glimpse, boys, of the change that's waiting on you. Glory to God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's coming a day, honey, when this carnality, this sin, this flesh is going to fall off. And, and an incorruption is going to take me over. Immortality is going to swallow me up. I'm telling you, this body is going to be changed. I'm going to be like God. Do you know when we reign and rule on the earth that Satan's going to be loosed after a thousand years for a short season? And it says that he will tempt the nations. He won't be tempting me and Brother Daniel. He won't be tempting me and Brother Joey or me and Brother Corey or me and you. No, no. Why? Because we're redeemed. We're forever redeemed. We're a part of the blood-bought, redeemed, glorified church. We're a part of the raptured bride of Christ. He'll tempt the nation, but he won't be tempting us because we won't be able to be tempted by sin. It won't appeal to us just like it don't appeal to God. We'll be altogether holy. We'll be like him in every way. Hallelujah to God. 